We are then in week seven of uh, Walking with Lions, hashtag Walking with Lions. You catch it all on, online, iTunes, download it all from the podcast app, whatever uh, you choose to do, it's all uh, there. If you go uh, to Hamleys or to Harrods or somewhere like that, they will say that their best-selling toy over the last 15 years has been the Etch-a-Sketch. And uh, a small cheer for those of you who had an Etch-a-Sketch as a child. Both of you, well done. Uh, for the uninitiated, you could draw a little something on the board, and then you could wipe it clean, and then you could draw something else on the board, then you could wipe it clean, then you could draw something else on the board, and then you could wipe it clean, and it would keep you going for months. Something on the board, wipe it clean. Okay? There was, in Daniel chapter 5, the most lavish party you might ever imagine. A party on the scale of something that Elton John or the Beckhams would put on that would be all over OK and Hello magazine, that would be the talk not only of the town but of the whole nation. And in the midst of this lavish party, there was quite literally an etch-a-sketch on the wall, a hand, a writing on the wall. Mene, mene, tackle, parson. Many, many, tackle, passing. Basically, it said, Belshazzar, let's say that together, Belshazzar, Belshazzar, feel it. Basically, it says, Belshazzar, you have been an absolute fool. Many, many, tackle, passing. You've been an absolute fool, and you are at the wrong kind of party. And that was it. That was all it said, effectively. You're at the wrong party. You're in the wrong place. And to be fair, any party that finds you somewhat dead by the morning is the wrong kind of party. Wouldn't you agree? And that's what happened. That very night... The Bible says, Belshazzar lost his life. It's one thing, isn't it, to party through the night and to wake up with a heck of a hangover. It's another thing to party through the night and not to wake up at all. And that was this guy's story. So the big question is this, as we look at Daniel chapter 5, the big question is this, how do we make sure that we don't spend our lives at the wrong kind of party? How do we make sure we don't spend our time celebrating the wrong kind of things or with the wrong kind of people? How do we make sure in the end our lives are spent at the party that never stops? Well, there are some clues in chapter 5. And we're going to go firstly, and Sarah's going to help us. We're going to look at verse 22 of Daniel chapter 5. And we find that if you want to make sure that in life you end up at the right kind of party, you need firstly to remember your Gandalf. And Sarah will explain why. Uh, So I I read through this passage, uh, mainly because Simon told me to. (laughs) Simon is a much older, much wiser person in my life. Um, 
many of the great heroes that we know um, had a father or a grandfather figure with enough wisdom that they can give them some guidance. Uh, So uh, Simon mentioned Gandalf, Frodo had Gandalf, Harry Potter had Dumbledore, Luke Skywalker had the little guy, Yoda, Um, and Belshazzar had the older, wiser figure in the form of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, And God himself acknowledges the value of paternal role models. In fact, it was so important to him that he set himself up in the role of the ultimate father to us all. Uh, We see this throughout the Bible, where we're shown God as in the role of creator, teacher, nurturer, protector, liberator. And he shows us through advice and discipline and example how to live in a way that is best for us. And this alone shows us how important it was, all these aspects. Uh, With no one to create us, we can't exist. And if we aren't nurtured, we can't thrive. We need to be taught the right from wrong and protected from harm. And finally, we need the freedom to make our own decisions so that we can grow and learn and choose a relationship with God for ourselves, as Safi has this morning. And the Lord God, father of all father figures in our lives, guides us and helps us and points us towards God himself. So Nebuchadnezzar, who had learnt the hard way to surrender his life to God, had much to teach those that were following him. He had no shortage of real-life experiences and examples to draw, on, draw to as he sought to guide Belshazzar. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't related by blood to him, um, but that didn't make him any less of a father figure and role model to follow. And that's good news for some of us. The older, wiser people in our lives do not have to be a blood relation. In fact, as in most of the examples I gave, it often isn't. However, the link between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar was obvious and should have been honoured. But we see in verse 22 that despite knowing Nebuchadnezzar's entire story, Belshazzar did not listen. He did not learn and he set himself up against the Lord. And I don't know about you, but at this point, I roll my eyes and I'm so exasperated because it's obvious, with hindsight, it's really clear to us what they should have done. And it's frustrating. But if we look carefully, do we not see ourselves doing the same things in our lives? Can you identify the people in your life that God has given you, who leads you to God's way, his truth, and his advice? If only we would listen. How often do we dismiss advice out of hand simply because it's not what we want to hear? How often do you nod and say, I will try that, only to have completely forgotten by the time you get home? Or perhaps it's more deliberate than that. Perhaps sometimes we deliberately disregard advice because the person giving it is too old or not cool enough or out of date. How could they know? How could their advice possibly be relevant to me? My kids come home from school and they'll often tell me a rhyme or a times table trick or a joke. And sometimes I join in at the end of the rhyme and they go, how do you know that? Because they think they or one of their friends has made that up. And I say to them, I used to sing that when I was at school. And nothing is guaranteed to put them off quicker than knowing that I used to do it when I was at school. Because every generation thinks that they know better than the last generation. Now, in some things, that's true. 
possibly with the exception of Mark, I would never ask someone older than me to give me advice on computers, uh, perhaps because I'm surrounded by young people who are the experts. But there are many, many cases where that isn't true, where listening to those that have gone before us can save us much pain and heartbreak. So whilst, for example, I would probably never ask Jane Hewson for internet advice, um, sorry Jane, I wouldn't, (laughs) but if my kids are worrying me, I would frequently seek her out. And if I want a jolly good prey, then she's up there with the best of them. So um, mob her after the service, if you like. Um, With the young people, we're working for a series at the moment where people from the congregation here are giving testimony and support to the young people as they share with them something that they've experienced that came between them and God and then how they found their way back to God through that. And I haven't heard anyone sharing yet, myself included, who isn't crying out to the young people, don't do that, don't do what I did, don't make the mistakes that I made, try a better way. And my prayer with this tactic is that some of the young people will identify a father or a mother figure who, using their experience, will guide them through this issue and closer to God. But, of course, they have to be willing to listen and to learn. And sadly, not all will identify with the help offered. And like Belshazzar, some will choose their own way. And that is true for us all. If we're too stubborn and dismissive to listen... If we have an attitude of knowing it all, then we may well just repeat the mistakes and give ourselves a whole world of pain that we could have avoided. At the Soul Survivor service that Safi mentioned in her testimony, Chris Peck stood up, came to the front, and spontaneously uh, gave a little talk about the young people. And she said that the congregation should stand up for them and stand beside them and support them and thank God for them. And it was really easy for me to listen to that and agree with it, because it's exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, But for many people, it was a revelation. Several people acted on her wise words. And as we prepared for the recent Romania trip, it was clear to see that we were supported and prayed beyond our wildest expectations. But what do we do if the advice is difficult to hear, if it's not what we want to hear? then we might choose, as Belshazzar did, to ignore it and go our own way. But God wants us to avoid that pain. If you're unsure about the validity of the advice, at least pray about it and find out more before you dismiss it. It might just be closer than you think. It's really very comforting and helpful to know that there are people around us that can fulfill these father and mother roles. It's one of the many reasons why discipling relationships are so valuable. So we need to identify who these people are, who these people are that are speaking God's truth into our lives. We need to listen to them, pray with them, and act upon what they say. But also, we should thank God for them, honour them, love them, and support them in return. They are a gift from God and should be treated as such. There will almost certainly be someone in our minds right now that is God's gift to us in helping us to see and discover a bit more of the truth. But if, like Belshazzar, as Sarah was saying, we choose to ignore their advice, we find ourselves at the wrong kind of party. 
If you want to make sure you're at the right kind of party, you've got to remember that you reap what you sow. That you reap what you sow. And for Belshazzar, he was being a right muppet because all he could think about was that party. He was living for that moment, for that honour. Is that better? He was living for that moment, for that honour. All around the city, as he had this lavish party, was an enemy army. The city was under siege. But he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't think about it. He wouldn't anticipate what was coming tomorrow. He was going to live for today. I want people to honor me now. I'm going to celebrate now. Living in the moment without a thought for tomorrow. When I was 10, I decided to take up long distance running. I got bored of the Etch-A-Sketch. And we would run across the city of Cardiff. And then as we would approach our house, which was at the top of a hill, we would, celeb- we would accelerate up the hill to arrive at the house when we were absolutely, totally depleted. Everything gone. Uh, as you run up the hill past Egremont Road, past Mitredale Close, these are real places in a real world, uh, uh, as we got to the house when every bit of lactic acid was filling our legs and we were exhausted, you ask, why on earth did we do that again as we gasped for breath entering the house? We did it because we were hoping that there would be a tomorrow when we would experience the breakthrough of running a marathon. And so we lived that day looking for the breakthrough that tomorrow would bring. And then when I was 11, I ran a marathon, just as you do, because of those days. I didn't get up one morning like, was it Eddie Izzard who got up one morning and said, oh, I'll run a marathon, and then he did that for 50 days on on the trot. Was that right? Was that him? Am I making that up? No, that's right. Uh, And So then when I was 40, again, a little bit bored of the Etch-A-Sketch, I thought, do you know what? Uh, What if I started running again? And I don't know whether it was a moment of weakness or, whether, uh, or what, but Simon said, Simon Barrington said, well, why don't, you, why don't you run the marathon, the London Marathon, and raise some money for Samaritan's Purse? Why not? Well, there's tons of good reasons why not, um, but they escaped me in the moment. Uh, and, and in a summer holiday, when we're in the south of France, when it was boiling hot, where we were staying in this very hilly place, I thought, well, how hard can this be? So I started to run, for 10 minutes. Well, I thought I'd run 10 minutes every day. I could barely run for 10 seconds. Uh, and I'd get back to the, to the caravan absolutely, totally wrecked, gasping for air. The kids thought it was an absolute hoot that I had any hope. But what, I did that the next day and the next day because I thought one day there'll be a breakthrough. And about six weeks later, I got to the end of 10 minutes and thought, Do you know what? I don't feel too bad. Maybe I could do 11. Uh, And then, uh, almost a year later, uh, I I ran the London Marathon. But the problem with that was this. I'd already done a marathon when I was 11. I thought, marathons, how hard can this be? Uh, I need a bit more of a challenge. So I didn't just want to run a marathon. In my arrogant pride, in my Belshazzar moment, I thought, well, I'm going to run this marathon in under four hours. How hard can that be? 
Quite a lot of people do that. I've seen it on the telly. It's quite hard, by the way, just saying. <clears throat> so I knew how fast I'd have to run to run a marathon in four hours. I'd need to do nine-minute miles, and I'd need to do that for 26 miles, 385 yards. That's what I needed to do. Uh, and so I was training uh, to run at nine-minute miles. The trouble was, in January, the marathon was in the April. In January, I injured my foot in some way and, and got several weeks behind in my training. But hey, I don't want to listen to that. Let's just keep going anyway. Uh, and by the time I got to the race, here we go. I found the guy with the nine-minute mile flag. I thought, this is it. Off we go. And I started running nine-minute miles around the back streets of London. It gets posher the further you get. So if you don't get very far on the London Marathon, you think London's the right hoot of a horrible place. But if you get there, you end up in the nice part. So we're running around all these back streets of London and so on. Uh, 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 Mile eight, so I've been doing nine-minute miles for eight miles. By mile eight, I'm busting for the toilet. But the man's there with the flag. So I ran a couple more miles trying to work out what to do. Because would he stop? Excuse me, should we all stop? We all need a wee, don't we? Shall we all stop? You know. Anyway, I stopped for a wee. And, and then, then I had to go a little bit faster to catch him up. And then we kept going at nine minute miles until we got into Canary Wharf. So this was about 19, 20 miles worth. And then suddenly, just like that, my knee said, no, I've had enough of this. And it was over in an instant. I couldn't do it. I mean, I did carry on running, and I did, I don't know, four hours and, and a bit. But I couldn't keep going at that pace. And the reason that I couldn't go uh, at that pace for the whole 26 miles is that in my training, because I'd lost those three weeks in January, I had not run 20-plus miles at that speed often enough in order to get to 12. I had not invested enough in order for the breakthrough I was looking for tomorrow. And very simply, in our lives, there are things that we long to see breakthrough in, and we will not see them unless we invest in them today. So what are you hoping to invest in, to break through in tomorrow? What what are you longing to see take place in your journey, in your marriage, with your family, with your children, in your job, wherever it might be. And are you stepping into that today? Are you taking the initiative today to invest in what could be possible tomorrow? Belshazzar was at the wrong party because all he could think about was now. All he could think about was today. All he could think about was getting everything he needed right now. Praise me now. Let's celebrate now. And he didn't put anything no investment at all into tomorrow. And he didn't make it through the night. Jesus says something almost identical, doesn't he? He says about the chap that could only think about building, uh, working today, filling his barn with stuff, and then working a bit more and getting a bigger barn and filling it with stuff, and then getting a bigger barn and filling it with stuff. All he could think about was today, was now. And Jesus said, he's a fool. He's a fool because he hasn't thought about the breakthrough that he needs for tomorrow. So, what's the point in investing everything into today if you've got nothing invested in tomorrow? And then, lastly, be at the right party. 
by remembering that the party, the real party, never stops. You see, we invest a lot, as Belshazzar was, in things that can suddenly come to an end. And almost everything comes to an end, maybe not suddenly, but it comes to an end all the same. It doesn't matter whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it comes to an end. If you've got the job that you love, one day it will come to an end. If you had a fantastic summer this year, well, it comes to an end. If you have a a great week at Soul Survivor or Romania, well, it comes to an end. And Belshazzar's story is a reminder to us that ultimately the right party, the right place to put down our roots, the right place to trust, is where the kingdom never ends. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar had learned, and that's why Belshazzar was so short-sighted in not listening to the wise counsel of his story. Because Nebuchadnezzar said that actually it's God's kingdom, I've discovered, that never ends. And so as Jesus would say, don't store up the stuff on earth. The stuff that will end, be it literal stuff or an experience. However good, it will come to an end. And if that's what we're invested in, then we're as good as dead by the morning. Because one day it will be over. And so as we think about Belshazzar and that story this morning, where is the Spirit just speaking to you, just nudging you? Maybe it's the, it's the, it's the wise person the, whose advice you're tempted to ignore for another day, another week. And if I can ignore it for another week, maybe I can ignore it for another year. Maybe it's that what someone has said to you a long time ago, and deep in your heart you know it's true, but you are just... Just shut that out a little bit longer. And this morning, the Spirit of God is saying, it's today, it's the day, to be thankful for people that speak the truth into your life. Or maybe you're thinking, actually, I'm so caught up in the now that I'm not thinking at all about the breakthrough that I want tomorrow. And I need to step in today to what I want to see God do tomorrow. And maybe you're so invested in something that's going on right now that when that comes to an end, you're all disorientated because you've made it your treasure when there is something so much bigger and greater and more eternal. The amazing thing about Safi's story is that she goes, there's a treasure that I'll never lose. What was the verses that we sang, the the words that we sang in the lyric about, but you never run, I'll never lose you, you can never hide, never run away. It's a treasure that's always there. And Belshazzar is a timely reminder that we can trust so much in the now, in the immediate, in the things that are around me, that suddenly when we step into tomorrow, we're all at sea and there's no real tomorrow to step into.